0: Hi, it's Bob, your host for the Business Book Review Podcast. This is our second season, and we hope you will continue to enjoy our talk with business people who use books to help them excel in business and life. For more information, please visit our website at www.businessbooktalk.com. Hi, everybody. We're back with another book review. And uh, today I've got Mike. Mike, how the heck do you pronounce that last name of yours?
1: It's Figliola.
0: Figliola. Okay, cool. Well, we're with Mike Figliola. And uh, he's written an awesome book called uh, One Piece of Paper. But before we get into that, let's find a little a little bit more about Mike. Where are you located in the United States?
1: I live in a little suburb outside of Columbus, Ohio, a little town called
0: Dublin. I know you don't make a ton of money uh, writing and selling a book. So how do you actually make money on a day-to-day
1: basis? So my day job, as I affectionately refer to it, is I'm a leadership uh, trainer and I run a leadership development and training firm. We work mostly with large clients, Fortune 100s, and other topics like strategy, communications, leadership, innovation. And what makes us different is my entire team is collected from practitioners. Everybody on the team is a senior executive who has deep experience in industry. They've run P&Ls and organizations. So when we teach, we're teaching from sort of the school of hard knocks and and on the job training versus just um, you know academic research or being career trainers that may or may not have led actual. Work.
0: Well, and, you know, that's a perfect segue because that's what your book's all about. It's, it's not an academic book. It's like roll up your sleeves. read the read, As you read the book, better get ready to roll up your sleeves and get some work done.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, I think the um, if you're looking for numbers in there in terms of research, the most numbers you're going to find are the page numbers. Um, this is based on real-world experience. And the whole method that the book covers is about telling your own personal story. So the book walks you through a series of questions that drive your introspection and help you articulate that leadership philosophy. And throughout the book, I share my stories as well as the stories of other leaders and executives who have articulated their philosophy so you can see how it applies in the real world.
0: Nice. Now, the book's entitled in you know, one piece of paper. I guess that I would assume that's your goal uh, as you read the book or when you finish the book and actually jump in to get a little bit more serious about it. In a a short sentence, describe why it's called one piece of paper the cover the book.
1: The end goal of the entire process is to be able to articulate your personal leadership philosophy on one piece of paper. No buzzwords, no BS. It's how do you articulate your personal story across multiple aspects of leadership on one page. Because if it's longer than that, nobody's going to read it.
0: Yeah, and and then you're not going to be able to sit in a meeting or, and, and articulate it without people falling asleep.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: It does Are you using a, a bullet point technique, or is it more of a storyline, or does the person get to choose which way to, to describe um, what their leadership uh, values are or direction?
1: So the way the method works is, I want to have the reader generate emotional triggers. So there's a series of 16 questions, and those questions cover everything from what motivates you, what inspires you, how do you interact with your team, how do you maintain balance in your life? And as you walk through those 16 questions, I ask you to think about a leadership story from your personal background that really captures, this is how I want to live, this is how I want to show up as a leader. And then what we do is distill that story down to its bare essence. So that bare essence is the bullet point that ends up on your one piece of paper. And then what happens is once you've articulated that philosophy in the form of those bullet points, when you need to apply the philosophy, you articulate the bullet point. And then, of course, the, there's the, well, what does that mean? Then you end up telling the story behind it and you're causing an emotional reaction in the person when they're thinking about that story. And then you talk about the desired behaviors that that story embodies.
0: Okay. Now, I bought your book. I'm here sitting in my my office uh, in a skyscraper at home because it's probably applicable to any uh, size business. Um, I'm looking at the book and it's you know it's got chapter, or part one, part two, part three, part four, uh, part five, and part six. Um, is there Can I skip around in the book, or should I be reading it from the beginning to the end and then go back and do the exercises?
1: Uh, actually, so neither. You should be reading from beginning to end, and as you're going through it, you should be doing the exercises at the same time. Now, I recognize some people will want to go through cover to cover and understand the entire method and then go back through and do the exercises, but it's not one where... I'd advise skipping around. They've been laid out very deliberately in, in the sequence that they are.
0: Okay. Actually, that would, uh, depending on the type of, of, of manager you are, that would be one of your, your ticks off. Of. Are you a detailed person or do you like to rush to a decision type of thing? Yeah. Um, how long do you find, would you feel that the average person needs to spend to get down to one piece of paper? Is that kind of like asking how long is a piece of string?
1: <laughs> I think it's a little bit like asking how long is a piece of string. I mean, it's taken me 20 years to get to my current piece of paper because it's based on that personal experience. Now, if you're saying first time through, going through the method and, and getting that first draft done, um, I would suspect if you, if you read it over the course of a week and you really invest the time thinking through the exercises, doing the introspection, Um, you'll be able to get to a pretty good first cut within a reasonable period of time. It's not the reading that takes the time. It's the introspection and getting to stories that are emotionally resonant because most readers, their first cut will be, um, it'll be superficial because we're a little hesitant to expose our true person and our fears and our desires and, and, Think about exposing that to people we work with is a little bit of a foreign concept. So, that introspection is all about getting layers deeper and deeper and deeper to things that are actually the most interesting.
0: Yeah, actually, that's a very interesting point. I guess, depending on the culture of the organization that you're working in or have created, uh, this book might be very difficult to implement. I mean, it, it, it's the top, I mean, if you're going to do a one piece of paper. Uh, analysis of of what you do and what you stand for as a CEO or a leader in the organization, would that be something you'd roll out to the whole organization?
1: I I think if you've got anybody who's leading anybody else, the method can apply because I, I make a very strong distinction between leadership and management. You manage things and you lead people. And management is a set of tasks, it's budgets, it's project plans. Leadership is about setting direction, inspiring, influencing others. So if you've got folks who are in leadership roles, I really strongly advise that they understand who they are as a leader and what their personal style is. Now, in terms of how you roll it out throughout the organization, I do have management teams that I've worked with where that senior leader brings their senior staff in the room, And they all go through the method together. And there's two types of value that come from that approach. One is the individuals develop their personal leadership philosophies, and that's a good outcome. The other really interesting thing that happens is that management team gets to know one another at a level they didn't previously. And they understand each other's values better. They understand what's important to them, what their aspirations are. And that starts building trust between those management team members when you understand that other person's uh, deeper story rather than oh that's the finance guy
0: hmm. um let's roll it back a little bit to um you have your epiphany and say you know what i'm going to write a book uh how long did it take you from you know i'm going to write a book and start making notes till we got to this point where it's actually getting published
1: So the book was written before it was even a notion. I've been teaching the Leadership Maxim's method for a long time, and I wish we had the technology that I could have just plugged in a USB into my head and downloaded what's up there. So I had a little bit of an unfair advantage in that the method and the content was already written, and it needed to be transcribed and transformed to be more of a workbook. Um, That said, from a calendar standpoint, I was lucky enough to have a great literary agent reach out to me based on my blog. I've been writing about leadership on our blog for almost four years now, and he found the blog, sent me a note on August 16th of last year and said, like your blog, you ever thought about writing a book? And I said, yep, here it is, and told him about the leadership maxim method. So we went from that to uh, about three weeks later having a proposal sent out to publishers, And about six or seven weeks after that, had the offer. Uh, So that puts it sort of mid-October. I know it was before October, uh, before my birthday in October, because I turned 40 last October. So it was like, yeah, I got a book deal before I'm 40, sort of thing. And then it was two months to write the first draft, uh, then a month for the publisher to do edits, then another month for me to write the next draft, and now it's been... uh, it's been done and edited, and uh, it actually went on sale on Kindle today, and it'll be in bookstores on
0: October
1: the 18th. Nice. So uh, just, just about a year, just over a year.
0: Okay, that's pretty good, actually. Um, now that you've written the book, and um, you probably had to read it at least three or four times.
1: Uh, <laughs> I wish it was only three or four.
0: <laughs> um, is there any part of the book that still resonates with you? Is like, you know, this is fresh today as it was when I had to read it the first time.
1: I think what really strikes me is the freshness of the method. And it just doesn't go stale and how broadly it applies. It, it's really surprising to me in a pleasant sense how broadly this method applies. So I have taught it to senior level teams, folks who are VPs, SVPs, and their staffs and folks that have been in the industry for 15, 20 years, and it resonated for them. And I also gave a presentation recently to um, the student children of one of my clients' uh, teams. So what they do is they have their kids come in on a Saturday, and they sort of say, hey, this is what mom and dad do, and they bring in speakers. And I was one of those speakers. And there were 14, 15, 18-year-old kids in the room who said, wow, this really resonates for me. And its it, it was pretty amazing that it cuts across um, age ranges, cultures, experiences. And I think that's the thing that is always fresh for me, and I always see it applied in different ways. But the method itself always resonates. Mm.
0: Well, its it's a self-discovery process, I would think, too, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. And it's all about the introspection and defining who you are. Um, the good news is everybody already has the answer. The book just helps pull it out of you and structure it and put it on paper. Well,
0: unless you're totally delusional.
1: True. <laughs> There's other books in the in the store for that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If you got to this point, and maybe you should be reading another book. <laughs> um, you said that it's very story based at the beginning. Uh, are there anecdotes that that um, you like talking about more than other anecdotes?
1: I I love talking about all of them because the things on my one piece of paper are emotionally resonant and important for me. But to share one, to really give an example of the way the method works, one of the questions in the book that I ask readers to explore is, how do you remember to treat the people on your team as individuals rather than, oh, it's my analyst, my project manager, etc.? And for me, my maxim, my reminder, my trigger is a can of 7-Up. It's just the image of a can of 7-Up. And right now you're saying, all right, I don't get it. Well, the story behind it is when I was in the Army, I had a soldier who was a problem child. He would show up late, show up drunk, show up late and drunk. And, um, you know, you just had to micromanage him. He wasn't motivated. So one day we were out at Gunnery, and I gave my driver a few dollars to go buy some sodas for the guys. And I gave him a list of who got what soda. And when my driver came back, he handed the sodas out. He gave the problem child soldier a 7-up. And the problem child soldier looked at my driver and said, how did you know I drank 7-up? And he said, I didn't know. The lieutenant did. And and he pointed to me. And that soldier said, you know I drink 7-up? I said, yeah, I know a lot of things about it. And the next day, the guy's performance was dramatically different. It was like invasion of the body snatchers. Somebody took my bad soldier and gave me a good one. And at the end of that work day, I asked him, what's going on here? And he said, well, remember yesterday when you got me that can of soda, you showed that you care about me and you know something about me. So I figure I should probably care about the job I do for you. And it was just unbelievable. And I'm sitting here getting goosebumps remembering that conversation because there's emotional resonance in it for me. So then you translate that and say, well, the way I, I want to remember to treat my people as individuals is I want to have that trigger and that reminder of that can of 7-Up. And now I have a new person on my team. What do I know about them? What's important to them? So the anecdote, the trigger is the can of 7-Up. The anecdote explains what I mean by that and what's important to me as a leader. And then I can then translate that to the behaviors I demonstrate with with.
0: That's that's interesting. I mean, in, um, in a list, you could say, you know, can of 7-Up, and then this means this, and this is why I manage people this way. It could be that yeah. simple.
1: Exactly. And all that goes on that one piece of paper is, he drinks 7-Up, and it's just that very short phrase. And the way I share the maxims with my team is we sit down with that one page with 16 bullet points, and most of them are – um that they're not exactly clear what does he mean by this, but it's about the conversation. And then when I share that story with them, they understand me as a person. They understand me as a leader. And we can also use those rules to guide behavior. So there have been occasions where I I have one maxim of it is what it is. What are you going to do about it? And I had a pretty senior executive tell me that once when I was complaining, and it was a good reminder hey, I actually need to come with solutions. And there have been times members of my team have come in and I've compl- been complaining about something, and they pointed to my one piece of paper and said, so what are you going to do about it? And instantly it changes my behavior. And I've also used it with them. So they come in complaining, and I point to the one piece of paper and say, well, what are you going to do about it? And it, again, changes behavior.
0: Um, because it's on one piece of paper, I guess you – Quickly, uh, you can memorize exactly what all your 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 points are.
1: Absolutely, and I encourage folks to print it out, put it up on their cube wall, on their office wall. Some folks I know um, will make a little laminated card, with them on them, and have them on their ID badge. So when the meeting gets boring, or the conference call gets boring, they pull that out, to look at it, review their leadership philosophy. Um, by making it simple and accessible, people are more likely to use it. If it's a 13-page manifesto full of buzzwords, nobody's going to read it.
0: Yeah, or you're never going to refer to it, so it's a pointless piece of paper. Exactly. Um, can you dig out one more great anecdote for us?
1: Sure. You get to judge if it's great. I'll just tell you. <laughs> okay. Um, so as I, as I think about um, – leading a balanced life. That's The book covers four aspects of leadership and one of the things that's different about the book is it goes beyond the leader-led construct, and it has the reader look at leading yourself, what's important to you, what motivates and inspires you, leading the thinking, where you take in the organization, vision, mission, innovation, leading your people, duh, and leading a balanced life because if you're burned out, you're worthless. So It examines all four of those aspects. One of my maxims um, is a quote. And maxims can be quotes, sayings, images, things that are emotionally resonant. And the quote is, but man is not made for defeat. A man can be destroyed but not defeated. And Ernest Hemingway wrote that in The Old Man and the Sea. I read it in ninth grade. And I remember reading the book, and I stopped when I hit that quote. And I read it probably six or eight times. And that quote has stuck with me all these years, and I use it when things get dark, things get difficult for me, and I need to motivate myself because guess what? I'm an entrepreneur. I don't have a boss, and it's not like my clients are going to come and, oh, Mike, you're having a tough time and pick me up. I don't have anyone outside of family other than me to pick myself up, and I use that quote, that maxim to pull myself back up when things are difficult and say, you know what? I'm not made for defeat. You have to destroy me. I will not give up. So that maxim has lived on for, I don't even want to count how many years uh, since high school, since I was pregnant. Um, But that's another one that that pops up.
0: Okay. Now going back through you, how many questions are there that you go through again? Was it 16? 16. Yeah. Um, can you um, cover all sixteen of those of those questions, and just touch on them very lightly? Um, what, how you would approach them? I mean, like this one, you got to really dig deep, and this one, you can do this way, and this one, you can do that way. Just as like a, a, a quick primer, then people don't have to buy your book.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, what is this a memory quiz? You want me to remember sixteen <laughs> things off the top of my head? That's a little unfair. Yeah.
0: Okay. It's. Uh... I don't know. I'll That's pick. I'll question. pick one now. I'm just going to look up here where the questions are.
1: Uh, if you go to the content, contents, you'll you'll see it straight out. Um, and I can I can go ahead and just jump to them. They're they're right here.
0: Oh it's yeah, they're right here. Yeah.
1: Um, so the questions around leading yourself. The questions are: Why do you get out of bed every day? So what are you excited about? Motivated by? The next one is, how will you shape your future? Where are you going in life, right? What's that end destination? What guidelines do you live by? So once you know the destination, how are you going to make sure you stay on track and talked about morals, ethics? How do you make difficult choices? Um, the next one is, when you fall, how do you pick yourself back up? And that's my Hemingway one, right? Mm. When things get difficult, how do you lead yourself out of that hole? And the last one in leading yourself is, how do you hold yourself accountable? Um, Accountable for performance, accountable for standards. So that's the leading yourself section. Under leading leading the thinking, it talks about what standards do you hold your team to. So letting your team know these are my performance standards and my expectations. The second is where are you taking your people? And that's about vision and and setting a future state where you want to take your team. The next is how would you foresee the future? And that's about innovation and looking beyond business as usual and how do you force yourself to constantly look for the next opportunity or the next risk? Because that's your job as a leader, right? It's to be looking over the horizon. And then the last one in leading the thinking is, after all that thinking, how will you drive action? And one of my best colleagues and actually the second guy that started teaching with me at Thought Leaders uh, likes to say, thoughts are nice, but actions matter. And this is all about leading the thinking is about taking those thoughts and actually putting them in action. Mm-hmm. So that's the leading the thinking section. On leading your people, the first one is, what's your natural style? So I'm pretty stubborn. My style is what it is. It's not going to change. So acknowledge what your style is. The second is, how will you remember to treat your team members as individuals? And that's my 10-7-Up one. Next, how will you stay connected to your team's reality? So it's all about knowing what they do and knowing what their jobs are so that you can ask the right things of them and get them to perform. And lastly, in leading your people, how do you commit to their growth? Because people don't go to work for the money. I mean, they do, but why they really go to work is the growth and challenge and working with coworkers. workers So you as a leader, how are you going to commit to their growth? And then lastly, in leading a balanced life, how do you define your boundaries? Because... One of the biggest problems with balance is we violate boundaries, and the reason we violate them is either we don't know what they are and we fail to establish them, or we know what they are and we don't tell people, so then people violate them, and we hate those people, but they don't know why we hate them, so it's about defining boundaries. Um, The second one is how do you keep things in perspective, and that's a huge aspect of balance, right? It's, It's work, it's fertilizer, it's credit cards, it's training. Uh, and then the last one is, what are you passionate about? And not necessarily from a work standpoint, but from a life standpoint. So those are the 16 questions.
0: You know, and, and those through going just listening to those questions, some of them are tough questions. You can't just like flippantly say, eh, you know, I think a lot of people say I'm passionate about X and they have a pretty good idea what they're passionate about. But some of that other stuff is like, wow, I'm going to have to dig a little deep here.
1: Oh yeah, it's, it's very deep. Some people are going to have to get out some shovels and pick axes, and you got to go way deep, especially to get them to a point that they're practical and applicable because you need the emotional resonance. And I have one maxim, and when I was teaching yesterday, I choked up, and I actually had to take a moment and stop teaching and compose myself because it's that emotionally powerful for me when I think about that maxim. Mm. And it's related to my, my Nana who passed away a few months ago. And, um, you know, I, I flipped the, the chart, and all of a sudden, Nana's picture is up on the screen. And I kind of lost it a little bit. So it's, it's going that deep to the point that, you know what, you're going to choke up, or you'll smile, or you'll get really excited. Because when you tap into those emotions, that's what'll change your behavior. I won't change my behavior over a, a philosophy that says, well, Leverage the human capital assets that have been allocated to me to maximize shareholder value. And it's, what does that actually mean? That's that's a bunch of BS, right?
0: Yeah, it's, it's real world. I, I think, you know, when you do um, get your list on one piece of paper and you're going through your 16 points, if you're not getting a solid um, emotional uh, tweak for at least 50 or 60 percent of them, you got to go revisit.
1: That's right. And in the book, there's the whole section around, within each chapter, within each of those 16 chapters, it's here's what the question is about and why it's important to leadership. Then there are some guiding questions to get you thinking about it and giving you ideas on did you have a coach who did something or a boss or to start that brainstorming to lead you to come up with your maxim. And then there's sort of the litmus test of is this a good maxim? Is it solid? Will it change your behavior? And it, it asks. Does this have emotional resonance for you? Is it important and meaningful? And, and if not, go back and dig deeper. Mm.
0: You know, because it's such a personal journey, um, do you ask people to, to bounce it off other people and say, hey, you know, um, this is a new maxim. What, you know, this is, this is an inner thing about me. Do you think it's true because you've, you've known me? Is, is it a truism or is it just my perception of myself, which is a false perception?
1: So the last section of the book is all about sharing and implementing your maxim. So as you share that philosophy with other people, I think that's a very valid question to ask of, Hey, I'm, I think I'm this. Am I really? And you know, that's part of that feedback process. So you should share your maxims with your team. You should invite that feedback along the way. And once you know your maxims are solid and your team understands them, then it's the, Notion
0: of practicing it on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Whew, heady stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's real it's, life. It's
1: simple, but it's so deep, right? And that—that's sort of the paradox of it.
0: Yeah. Well, a lot of great things in life. It's the simplicity of it all. You know, I I do, you know, marketing communications for people, and usually it's the simple ideas that are relatively easy to execute that get the best results compared to the very, oh, we're going to do this trade show booth, and it's going to be the biggest and best, and you throw all this energy into it, and it's like, meh. It it doesn't have the impact. It doesn't have that emotional value because it's it's all cluttered up and people actually can't see it.
1: Right. And one of the best compliments I got on the book so far was from a former four-star general who was one of my instructors at West Point. This guy used to be the supreme allied commander of NATO forces in Europe. So, kind of sort of knows his way around leadership a little bit. And just a wonderful man. He's brilliant too. And he said, you know, the book reads like a conversation between two old friends and you're one of those friends. And it was just really great. And again, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it because the book is very conversational. Nobody wants to read a big tome of theory. It's like, please put a pencil in my eye. I'd rather do that. You know, and, and the book is fun. It's irreverent. It's, can be a little bit in your face at times, but if I'm not provoking you, you're not going to go deep. So my job is to be an instigator and an agitator to get you to bring those emotions to the surface, articulate them, share them, and listen. them. Um,
0: okay, here's, here's, a, here's a difficult question. Is this book applicable to the American way of doing management, or does it have global reach?
1: It has global reach because people have personalities and styles that they operate within. I taught this last year in, uh, where was I? Dublin, Ireland. I was in the other Dublin, so I went from Dublin to Dublin, and the team in the room was from all over Europe, and we went through the Maxim's program, and the Italians in the room had one take on it, and the Germans, and the Irish, and the folks in the UK, and, and sure, Europe is a little bit more homogeneous and, and analogous to the U.S., but still, there was no problem whatsoever translating the method and seeing, wow, I'm a leader, I have people who report to me, this is how I like to interact with them or want to interact with them, and I have to tell my personal story. Okay, I get it. because. So many leadership frameworks that I've come across end up being reasonably prescriptive in terms of the end product. So all the philosophies should look the same. They should all include these following things, and they turn out drones and clones, right? The leadership maxims method in one piece of paper um, flips that on its head, and it says the process is the same for everybody. The output is unique. And and it's unique, and it pertains only to that individual, because every individual will have a different philosophy. So that's why I think it bridges all different cultures, all different ages, all different leadership situations, because that leader is in that context, and they have their personality. All the book does is helps them articulate that. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's it's a guide map more than anything else. Awesome. I just like to thank you very much for spending some time with us chatting today. It's an awesome book. I highly recommend anybody, even uh, you know, new parents. Anybody that has to face, who am I, and how can I become a better person and a better leader? Because I, I think a lot of times it's not people get. Oh well, you know, I, I'm not a boss or I'm not a leader in that sense. If you coach kids, or if you're sitting on a pack team, uh, which is in Canada, is the uh, parents' advisory councils uh, in schools, you know, you are a leader in your community, and this is very applicable, and if you have a false perception of who you are and what you're bringing to the table, you're going to cause more damage than good.
1: That's right. I, I don't care what context you're leading in, and it can be formal, and you have a box on an org chart and boxes with lines into you, or you want to talk the ultimate challenge, lead kids. Right. And that's difficult. But you should have a grounded sense of your philosophy. And the book does that. The book doesn't care whether you're at a Fortune 50 or you're running your own shop. It doesn't matter.
0: Nice. All right. Thanks again. And uh, it was fantastic talking with you. Uh, Do you think you got another book in there somewhere?
1: I do, but that's a scary notion. Right? <laughs> let me let me hold a copy of this one first when it comes out in a few weeks, and uh, you know it'll it'll uh, I'm sure it'll pop out at some.
0: Point. Okay, that's awesome. Lovely chatting with you, and and hopefully we get a chance to chat again.
1: Great, thank you so
0: much. All right, no problem. That sounded like an awesome book to check out and read. I'm already looking forward to next week's show where we will chat about another great business book. For more information and links on this and other podcasts, please visit contactbob.tel. See you next week.